and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And today, uh, the episode we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 10, uh, which is titled The Beacon. And um, after last episode, which was a very much forward momentum kind of action set piece with character moments sprinkled in, in, in between, this episode is very much the cool down, the sort of gear shift into what's coming next, where these characters just sort of get to breathe and interact for a while, which is what I'm always a fan of uh, personally. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I I really like that about um, Shira actually, where it's like we have these big set piece moments, um, but there's a lot of breathing room um, immediately after them, and it gives it gives everyone some time to decompress a little bit and also to like um, kind of collect their emotions and then process them, and you know we get to kind of. Uh, come along for the ride for that and that's always a lot of fun yeah this one's all about processing emotions i mean specifically everyone thinks entrapta is dead uh which thankfully we, we find out in this episode is of course not the case but you yes. know dramatic irony and all the characters don't know that and they think they just watched their friend get incinerated um and you don't really feel good after you see that so immediately everyone has decided to just retreat into their kingdoms and go kind of shut themselves off from the rest of the world. Frosta wasn't actually there, but uh, of course she hears through the grapevine and then decides to seal up the entire kingdom in a big icy spike. Um, So things aren't going ideally for uh, Glimmer and, and pals at this point. No, especially considering that uh, Glimmer is dealing with some kind of power glitch due to Shadow Weaver's dark magic. Uh, she can't teleport, she can't use any of her powers, and every so often she becomes consumed in unimaginable agony. Yeah, it seems like not an enormous amount of fun, actually. Just uh, every, you know, seemingly every five minutes she just gets zapped um, by a bunch of red electricity. Seems not very fun. Um, and she, of course, wants to keep this from her mother, who has been worried sick due to her only daughter being kidnapped by the whore. Yes. Um, and it is sort of the... It, it, I would say it's probably the main thrust of this episode. There's a lot going on in this episode. A lot of characters have to do a lot of stuff. But I think the main focus is on Glimmer and Angela uh, sort of working some things out. Yeah, there's... There's a lot of a lot of tension uh, between the two of, two of them in this episode. It uh, it seems like they don't have a very good uh, communication most of the time, and uh, definitely not in this episode because Glimmer is just spending every waking second trying to avoid her. Um, kind of understandably, I mean, if you had to tell both your boss and your mom, hey, not only did I just lose somebody in battle but also the entire alliance is compromised and also i don't have any powers anymore and also i'm really hurt i can see why glimmer would be kind of hesitant to to report all that back 
Right. The the Princess Alliance was her thing. She was the one who was pushing really hard to reform it. She was the one going out there recruiting people. And so she's taking this uh, extremely hard and extremely personally. And she just she just thinks that, oh, well, she'll just see me as a failure, a complete abject failure because i've just i've just messed all of this up completely yeah and it's 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 a lot and you know you can see through um a lot of uh the episode glimmer is just kind of going through like i mean she kind of goes through like all the stages of grief a little bit like you know she's like oh well you know we can we can kind of we can work with it right i just need to just need to recharge and everything will be fine i just need to do this and everything will be fine and you know maybe if i just you know just ignore the problem it'll be fine and like literally gets to the point where she's like what if we just burn the castle down then no one will have to deal with this Arson is my favorite stage of grief yeah arson is the best stage of grief and it's also uh the most productive um, fortunately, uh, Bo doesn't agree, so they didn't burn down the castle. Um, probably would have been a bad move. Yeah, I'm sure uh, the castle will be fine in the in the near future anyway, and then there's no danger of fire or anything. No, like that. yeah, the castle, of course, is in is in great shape and will stay that way forever. Um, but through the course of this episode, Glimmer and Angela. I mean, Angela is constantly trying to just get Glimmer to talk to her. She's just worried, um, and Glimmer just keeps blowing her off or making excuses, and, sh- and so she gets frustrated enough to pull out the queen card and say, well, you're coming to dinner whether you like it or not because I'm your mother, and I'm also the queen, and I'm also your boss. So there. Yeah, which um, very like very funnily, there was, there was a bit like immediately right at the end of that where Glimmer does like her, her classic teenage angst, like, uh but like while she's doing that she glitches so it's like just this very loud like screaming that she <laughs> like it, like Angela is still outside the room presumably she just thinks she's being very over dramatic I mean that's she's been uh, pretty over dramatic in the past about all this sort that's of stuff That's true they kind of both have a penchant for the melodrama no, oh, for sure. I mean, look at where they live. For well, one. yeah. You just eat. But all of this culminates in this dinner scene uh, with, with Angela and Glimmer. And before we get to the meat of this, we I, I want to talk about the food in the show a little bit, because all of it is complete oh, nonsense. Oh, it's complete nonsense. Like, this, the spread on this table is bizarre. First off, all of the colors are, like like aqua blue and like bright cotton candy pink and royal purple so you've got you've got like what i can only describe as purple like um shrimp cocktail and then there was like a bowl of like pixie pixie stick dust yeah just like a bowl of pink dust that um i don't it had a spoon in it i think so i guess that's how you I, I don't know really know what it is yeah and there was like pink bread and then the centerpiece was a bowl of i don't even know blue bananas and you know what it looked like it looked like lucky charms marshmallows but like really big lucky charms marshmallows 
Right, just gigantic arm-sized Lucky Charms marshmallows, which frankly sound like a nightmare to me. Well, I mean, I guess if you're like, I guess if you live in Bright Moon, it, it, it tracks that you would be eating giant Lucky Charms marshmallows. Um, and also, apparently, that true. spread is Glimmer's favorite. I mean, I don't, I can't identify any of it, so I can't really judge her taste. <laughs> um, so, go girl, I guess. Get it, get that giant get, Lucky Charms marshmallow. Yeah, get that pink bread. Um, Angela says, yeah, Angela says that she made her favorite and then sort of backtracks and says, well, I had the chefs make your favorite before I sent them home for the day. <laughs> um, and then they, they just sort of have uh this this conversation where a whole lot of stuff comes out between them yeah there's it's it's a very emotional conversation in fact honestly um on on rewatching it um i think it might be one of my favorite scenes in the show like certainly i think one of my favorite in season one um it's just like i don't know the emotions are done really well it's a really compelling scene um, the dialogue is great. The voice acting is great. The like, the character animation is really good. Um, I love the, I love the emotion of it. Like, it all feels, it feels like a real conversation, and that's I I like that a lot. Um, when I feel like I can watch something and I'm not just, you know, absorbing, like. A show and it's more like it it feels like a real conversation people would have and it just it's re it's really really compelling to me right i mean so yeah it starts with like and uh glimmer starts glitching and angela like you know sort of panics and asks her what's going on um and like glimmer just you know responds like stop yelling at me i know i i know i failed i know i really messed this up um, I think the, you know, the sort of crescendo of it is when Angela admits that she's the one who ordered the battle in which her father, King Micah, was killed in action. Yeah, like... Which sort of gives both of them, uh, pause. It, yeah, it seems like that's not a conversation that they've had before. Um, like, it seems like there's not a lot of, like, emotional conversation that really takes place between the two of them, which, I mean that's about how it goes honestly like i don't really most most teenagers and and young adults uh just you don't have those kind of conversations with your mom most of the time especially when you're in a situation with like uh you know glimmer and and her mom have kind of a like just sort of like an overbearing like overprotective mom situation going on here so there's not a lot of like interpersonal communication so um yeah it... and as well angela has to uh you know you know also be glimmer's committing officer and her queen and juggle this entire war with the horde there's so much going on that there was never really any space seemingly to work through anything between them um and so they never really got to have this heart to heart where ultimately they are they went through very similar sort of things like the first princess alliance fell apart because someone died unexpectedly yeah and and now and, the second Angela one is didn't. the second one is looking like it's going to follow in its footsteps but um 
Angela is like, listen, you know, this is, this isn't on you. This isn't on your friends. This isn't on, um, on anybody now. This is entirely, um, her failure because as the leader of the first rebellion, as the leader of, um, bright moon like it was it was her responsibility to take care of a lot of this stuff you know if she hadn't given up after her husband died then things wouldn't be in a position where glimmer has to become the you know has to become the general the the leader of of the alliance and you know she she spends a lot of time in this conversation trying to like really drive that point to her that you know you can't fall into the same into the same uh mistakes uh that she did because it doesn't work you know it's it's it doesn't work to just give up and and try to um and just feel sorry about the whole thing you have to keep moving forward and i think that it was a very, I think it was a very powerful, like little speech and a little conversation that they had. You know, the more the more you watch this show, the more I find myself appreciating Angela as a character. On on first rewatch, I think I said this earlier in in this show, but um, on on first watch through, Angela was just sort of not really a character I paid a lot of, of attention to, but. Uh, I think she has a great design, and I think she has a great voice actor, and I think they give her a lot of good scenes. They really do, yeah. Like, honestly, the... I think we were both in the same boat a little bit in that um, Angela wasn't, like, that compelling on first watch, but, like, once you... Once you kind of have a little bit more understanding of her character she's definitely a lot more compelling and she has a lot that she brings to the table that i think is really 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 good yeah for sure um and so that pretty much ends angela and glimmer's little arc in this episode but um we get another sort of mother and daughter conversation in this episode that most certainly mirrors the one Glimmer and, and uh, Angela have, and that would be uh, this this exchange Shadow Weaver and Catra have. So Shadow Weaver in this episode uh, gets chewed out by Hordak because obviously she took all the credit for Catra's plan, uh, which backfired insanely, and so she gets all the blame, much to Catra's. Uh, satisfaction yeah she has a real schoidenfreude moment a little bit and and scorpio of course impossible uh incapable of reading the room is just like hey wasn't that your plan right she doesn't know what's yeah. going on um and later uh near the end of the episode katra is preparing to leave to find that stuff uh, the first one's tech in the forest and she and shadow weaver have a bit of an encounter where Catra kind of like takes pity on Shadow Weaver for a minute after she sees what a what a rough state she's in. Um for whatever reason, either just she's depressed or Hordak hasn't been letting her recharge for whatever reason, I guess, because he's like, I I can I gave you the power, I can take it away. Yeah. I think there's like a level of implication um 
that there was like some there was like some kind of physical punishment component to her failure here yeah for sure either just sort of getting roughed up or just being denied the uh, magic juice that she needs to you know function it seems and so she and Katra have you know like I said a brief conversation where Shadow Weaver uh, resents being uh, pitied and and, and tells Katra all I I just wanted you to be strong I wanted to prepare you for the world but I'm not going to apologize for how hard I was on you Um, which is sort of an important milestone in her character because she and Katra have never really had a conversation like this she has spent a lot of time uh, talking down to Katra and calling her mediocre she calls her mediocre in this conversation Mm. but uh, eventually she does reveal no I I did want to make you strong I wanted to prepare you and I did that the best way I know how uh, by being a horrible person And Katra, for her part, she's just like, cool, uh, great story, bro. Um, Like, you did a great job, and now I don't need you anymore, and I don't give a about you. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, she she just doesn't give her the time of day after that. Yeah. And honestly, the thing is about that scene, right? Like, Shadow Weaver immediately takes it as pity. Um, but I honestly don't think Katra was pitying her. I think that Katra was like, like she saw for just like a brief second in, in Shadow Weaver, she saw like herself a little bit. She was like, oh yeah, like, you know, you kind of treated me this way. Hordak treats you like that. You know, maybe we can bond a little bit about it. You know, I can relate, you know, do you want to talk? That kind of thing. And I think she was just trying to, like, relate to her a little bit. And Shadow Weaver, of course, finds anything that isn't, like, fear or praise to be, like, condescension or pity because she's got problems. (laughs) And she's got big problems. So, yeah, she just immediately takes it um, in the most, like, the least charitable read humanly possible. And, um... She's not take it well, but it's like, yeah, Shadow Weaver, she's just trying to, just trying to relate to you a little bit here. You don't gotta, you don't gotta be like that. You don't gotta bite her head off for showing a little bit of emotional vulnerability. Yeah. Well, as we, as we learn later, as Adora says, uh, displays of weakness are strongly discouraged in the Horde. Yeah, that's true. Um... And but yeah, this this conversation like Angela and Shadow Weaver juxtaposed against each other a lot in this show, um, more than I remembered. Uh, obviously, they're like the two sort of motherly figures to our central characters, um, and their methods of mentorship are, let's say, somewhat opposed. But you could you could say that just a little bit. Beyond that, like, I think there is a, a common through line where it's like, yeah, no, both of them are, are trying to sort of reinforce uh, Glimmer and, and Catra's, like, identity and confidence in these scenes. Um, it's just that Angela does this through emotional connection and, like, sharing 
in what she's going through with with her own experience whereas shadow weaver is sort of making excuses and and try almost trying to justify it to herself her behavior mm-hmm. and and like even you know that she she roughly grabs uh catcher's arm to stop her from leaving early on in the scene and sort of gets in her face where where you know it, it, it's just a lot of like mirror images and that and that is a trend uh, that will continue long throughout the show yeah actually i love the the visual juxtaposition of the ending like the end caps of both um the the glimmer and angela scene and the catcher and shadow weaver scene because you know it is it functions as a shot reverse shot again like there's a lot of shot reverse shot in in this show and it's done to really great effect like you have um glimmer kind of embracing um her mom and coming closer to her you know facing um scene left and then with um with Katra and Shadow Weaver Katra is trying is walking away is leaving and uh Shadow Weaver's grabbing her arm and it's like it's just a much more aggressive like embrace that embrace is being initiated um by the mother figure on her end and it's being broken whereas on the other end um you know it's the child embracing uh the mother and it's them coming together it's it's a really like good visual compliment i think absolutely um and that's not all catrick is doing this episode for a majority of it she is quote-unquote interrogating entrapta and i say quote-unquote because Entrapta is very difficult to interrogate due to the fact that she cannot be scared. Yeah, she's not very easily intimidated. In fact, I would go so far as to say she is almost impossible to intimidate. Like, there's a very brief second at the very beginning where Entrapta is, like, getting the baton blaster pointed at her chin, and she's, like, she's got, like, a little bit of fear in her eyes, but then immediately she's like, oh, what's this? And she, like just immediately breaks out of her handcuffs to go examine the cool new toy that has been waved in front of her. <laughs> and she's just immediately, as soon as that happens, the entire like situation of I'm being interrogated is gone. That is out of her brain. She's not even thinking about that anymore for her. It's like, Ooh, I get to look at new cool toys. Right. Like she's, She's just a kid in a candy store here in the Horde with all of this crazy technology, right? And Yeah. I just really, like you said, I really, my favorite running gag in this show, because um, it will come back, is Entrapta just sort of breaking out of her own bonds and handcuffs like it's nothing. Like, you just can't, there's no way to contain her. She'll just get out. Yeah, she's she's too good. You can't You can't trap her. I guess if you were to cut her hair off, you could probably do it, but that would be monstrous, and no one would do it. Right, but this the scene sort of goes from an interrogation, um, and and once they realize that they're not going to get anything out of Entrapta, um, they instead start uh, like they, they they sort of Entrapta doesn't know everyone thinks she's dead. Um, yeah, so that's that's a really important thing here. She is like. 
um, Lake Catra is like, so what are you even doing here? And she's like, well, you know, uh, my friends had trouble finding you before, so I decided to just stay put this time and they'd come and get me. And then Catra, of course, sees this as an opportunity. She's like, oh, they left you. And, you know, in Trapta, she hadn't really thought of it like that. You know, she's she just she wasn't thinking about it in that way and she's also not thinking about like hey maybe my friends think that i got killed or anything like that she has no idea like for her she just doesn't think about things like that so she wouldn't have thought about them leaving her either had it not been for catra like pointing it out to her right catra sort of sees an opportunity and pounces on it um like a cat similar to a cat uh, obviously pulling on her own baggage with being abandoned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, logic uh, dictates probably can use this against other people. Exactly. She's becoming pretty adept at manipulating other people's emotions. Yeah, she's really, she is genuinely really learning from Shadow Weaver a bit. And so uh, that will bring us into what I wanted to talk about this episode, because I think it's a very important theme that keeps cropping up throughout this entire show we should talk about the ways in which physical expression is expressed within the horde and how it is almost always 100 percent of the time used as leverage for emotional manipulation yeah it's it is one of their more powerful tools it's like it's really it's really interesting so a lot of what the horde a lot of our um experience of the horde um so far insofar as like how it manipulates people and how it does this sort of thing has been through shadow weaver hordak's been kind of in the background like obviously he's a factor but really most of it's been through shadow weaver and shadow weaver is somebody who is to her core an extremely manipulative person and she will try to get leverage by any means uh necessary and she's really good at being able to read what will work where you know if she needs to use fear and intimidation to get her point across she will use it but if she needs to be sweet and kind and gentle and motherly and appear as like a protector or a friend you know she'll do that too and one of the primary ways that she does this is through small affectionate gestures you know a hand on the cheek or um, a hand on the shoulder a pet of the hair that kind of a thing and um, it's one of these ways that you know it really that kind of stuff gets in your head you know, that, that stuff really, really gets in your head when you're being manipulated. And um, and our good friend Catra here has, again, learned really well from her, uh, her mom slash CO. And she starts doing this to Entrapta. You know, she's running her fingers through her hair and, you know, just showing her this physical affection and adopting this really gentle, caring voice and trying to be as like 
supportive sounding as possible, all while, of course, bending her perception of what's happening into the way that she wants her to think. You know, Entrapta wouldn't have thought of her friends as abandoning, abandoning her. That wasn't something she would have come to a natural conclusion of. She had to be molded into that route. And that's a pretty common theme when it comes to the Horde. Right. Uh, we, we've seen uh, Shadow Weaver with the, the, the sort of signature cheek touch before uh, with Adora. Uh, in fact, in the very first episode, when she is sort of reassuring Adora, oh no, you're going to make the you were going to be the best force captain. You know, this is what you've been training for. I believe in you. She she pairs that with a like very sort of gentle uh, ginger face face touch, and she deploys that again uh, in in the shadows of Mysticore, where she is trying to sort of sway adora back to the horde's side and one of the one of the first things she does when she manifests that kind of uh shadow projection uh is when she's trying to sort of manipulate adora's very fragile emotional state uh due to all of the horrible gaslighting she did for that entire episode may i remind you um she sort of touches her cheek yet again and and sort of tells her that she has a place back in the horde always yeah, like, that that episode especially, I feel like, really tapped into a lot of the ways that, that Shadow Weaver uses her position and her, and, her, and her historical position as, like, this motherly figure to really get her hooks in, you know, really, like, work on, fire on all cylinders and work on every single one of Adora and Catra's buttons and, you know, mold them into the way that she wants them to go. Uh, thankfully, of course, in Shadows of Mysticore, she, you know, is not successful. You know, Adora's um, new friends and her new support system kind of helps prevent that a lot. And the way Adora has, has changed as a person now that she's experienced, you know, real and genuine affection in her life, you know, she's not as dependent on receiving this, um, this kind of affection and, um, validation from, from her mother figure. Um, Katra, unfortunately, has yet to experience that. And in a lot of ways, you know, as much as Katra hates Shadow Weaver, she kind of still needs that. She does need that validation and that, um, and that affection. And she almost never, ever gets it. But those very tiny little moments where she does, or there's hope that she's going to, you can see um, how important that is to Katra and why it is that Katra kind of adopts the same behaviors, you know? Right, you just you sort of do what you know, do what you've been taught, and that's what she's sort of been taught to do her whole life by example. Yeah, and it's it's even just not um, not just like following example, it's also like I think um, on a certain level there's like a you know, the more I behave like you, the more, you know, maybe I'll get your approval 
I think there's there's that kind of an angle to it also. Even if I think with Catra, most of that's subconscious. I don't think that if you asked her, she would uh, she would tell you that she does want that affection and validation from Shadow Weaver. But I think subconsciously that a lot of that is there. Oh yeah, for sure. She doesn't. She wouldn't admit to any of this at all. Um, but it's it's as clear as day in her actions and in her sort of just. Uh, interactions with Shadow Weaver. Yeah, absolutely. So, Adora in this episode spins most of it sort of in a slow, nervous breakdown, I would say. Yeah, a little bit. She is taking entrapta's death pretty hard because as she is so often wants to do she places all of the responsibility for things like this on herself despite the fact that there was literally nothing she could have done to stop that situation yeah she was at that exact moment literally and figuratively powerless she she did not have the sword she didn't have anything she could do she wasn't in the same area yeah she she did her best. She did the best she could in the situation, I think. Um, but she's certainly not going to let herself off the hook that easily because our good friend Adora has a massive Atlas complex. She is just... It's, it's a combination of, like, her expectations growing up uh, in the Horde. Of course, she was Shadow Weaver's favorite her protege she was the one who had all this expectation built on her you know she was always told you know you're going to be force captain you're going to have all this responsibility you know you're going to be like the star of the show here you're going to be the one who has to go out and do all of this and all of that responsibility was just on her shoulders forever and now that she's not in the horde anymore well she was uh she was handed a magic sword um by uh, by a magical forest and as it turns out now it's more true than ever you know the entire fate of the planet more or less rests on her um her shoulders and you know that's that's a lot of pressure and she's internalized it not ideally Right, like Glimmer also shoulders a lot of blame for this, and Bo does too, but the difference between them and Adora is that they talk to people at the end of this episode and sort of sort through that stuff. Adora doesn't have anyone to talk to about this, um, at least no one that she'll listen to, because I don't think Adora will listen to anyone about this. She's way too focused in on training. She wants, She needs to train, she needs to get stronger. All of this, uh, she feels, is because she has been slacking in her training as she-ra because uh, she doesn't know how to heal people she doesn't know how to like do anything with the sword so she feels as though this is all because she's been letting her her regimen slip uh, because in the horde it was drilled into her that you should always be training you should always be be honing your skills until you are a, a finely tuned weapon of war and she is sort of uh freaking out about the fact that she has seemingly let that slip yeah, there's actually a really important line. Um, there's there's this whole scene where they're um, 
in Glimmer's room and she's trying to figure out how to like use her sword to heal Glimmer. And by the way, one of the funniest scenes in all of season one, like by far, Bo is just so anxious about the lack of sword safety. Glimmer's like, hey, what if you just stab at me? <laughs> what if you just stab me with the sword? Um, what if it's a striking motion? What if it's like a like a stabbing motion? <laughs> yeah, it's not, and Bo is just having seven heart attacks about it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, she has a she has a line in it where um, you know, Glimmer's like, you know, I've never been sick before or anything like that. You know, what did you do whenever you had a cold? Uh, Dora immediately is just like hide because displays of weakness are you know super discouraged in the horde and then she's like and they were right i'm too weak and then she starts immediately trying to beat up some glass bobble and <laughs> which a really bad idea i wouldn't beat up glass um but b yeah adora kind of falls into this like I would, I would almost call it, like, a little bit of a relapse. Like, she's been doing really good since she's left the Horde so far in Season 1. Like, she's been experiencing genuine relationships, and she's been experiencing, like, care and positive emotions and, like, talking to people who are human about things. Um, but now that she's kind of faced this really heavy loss... Um, her immediate thought is, well, what's going wrong? Clearly the problem is that we're too soft and we need to be, um, much more strong and stoic and, and like more put together and more military minded. Like, you know, the horde always trained us, you know, she's, she's falling into that like horde mentality of, you know, strength and order and composure over you know anything else right she is yeah like you said she's relapsing she's falling back on these old ideas of of what it means to be strong and what her self-worth is is tied to you know her her performance and missions and her her training results um and and so as a result she just decides well that weird lady uh talked to me when i picked up the sword and Madame Raz took me to a big tower in the woods, so I should probably go there to learn about things. And she just sort of uh, walks off into the Whispering Woods, which is a, you know, nigh unnavigable magical nightmare to try and figure out how to heal people. Yeah. Um, incidentally, that doesn't go very well at first. Um, a, when when we say walks into the the whispering woods she does just jump out of a like six story window um <laughs> she's fine Bo looks she's but check she's all right yeah but um but yeah she um she kind of wanders off in the whispering whispering woods and it turns out um the woods have other plans and she gets very very lost meanwhile our good friend katra um she learns from Entrapta about um, more or less the same place that uh, Adora is going to because Entrapta starts telling her, uh, hey, you know, uh, I've been making so much progress in my research. Gosh, I sure wish that I had first one's tech. Do you guys have any here? And Catcher, of course, is like, what? What? What is that? What is that? Yeah, like she has no... First who? <laughs> yeah, first who? And... 
she's um she's like oh yeah first ones you know the old civilization super rad tech it's everywhere you basically can't go anywhere without tripping over it um here's a map i built of the whispering woods and it's just like on an ipad Catra does not know how to use an iPad. She's a cat. Yeah, she doesn't know how to use an iPad. She gets actually very frustrated with the iPad. It's really funny. Um, but yeah, they end up eventually meeting up, kind of, in, in the Whispering Woods. They just stumble onto the uh, the beacon together. Um, literally stumble, um, in Catra's case. And Right, and Adora sort of has to uh, almost talk to the woods and, and kind of admit her... Um, her her feelings about this to f- force it to open or show her the way sort of uh, the, these woods there's a lot going on with these woods clearly there's you know old old magic with like a uh, like a jik like old magic going on here oh yeah there's there's some definitely some old magics in these woods and uh they're like I, I, I do wonder how much of, like, the Whispering Woods is, like, a sentient thing. Like, that would be something to keep an eye on, I think, as we continue watching. Because, like, that, that was a question I had, actually, when I was first watching the show. Is, like, is the Whispering Woods, like, alive and, and sentient of things? Or is it just kind of, like, many layers of spells? Right. Uh, and the episode ends with... Uh... Uh, a nice hey Adora as Catra decides to follow Adora into this big mysterious first one's tower yeah one of my favorite hey Adoras of the show by the way really really good one one. quite a good one Um, and next week is in my opinion probably you know the best episode of this show outside of season 5 it's the best episode of season 1 and I would say it is the best episode of any season for quite a while yes and of course uh we're talking about promise uh we've been referring to it as promises but it is it in just fact sounds better <laughs> it just sounds better there are episodes where i just i refer to them as different names because the alternate names frankly sound better um but yes, that'll be for next week. A real treat for, for us. Um, no questions this week. Listen. Hey. Listen. You need to send us stuff. Yeah, send us some fun questions. We we like to we like to answer questions. And next week is a doozy of an episode. And uh, if you've got Catradora questions, well, uh, we got Catradora answers. We got a whole Catradora bottle episode next week. Nothing but Catradora, wall to wall Catradora. It's it's all we're getting. Yeah, floor to ceiling, probably... wall to wall. It's the whole it's the whole Catradora warehouse. And where can you send those questions? Well, you can send those to our curious cat, which you can find on our Twitter at Podcast of Power. Uh, you'll find links. I, I post question posts uh, before we record. Uh, either the day of or a couple of days before we record and uh you can just or you can just send anything you want to in whenever they don't have to be good questions they can be extremely dumb questions but we'll still talk about them you can also find us on tumblr at uh pot of power i believe is our is our tumblr 
URL. Um, we have a Gmail, but I don't think I'm going to use it for anything. Uh, <laughs> we I pre probably won't get any questions through mail, but just in case, that email address is podofpower at gmail.com. Now, what we really need is we need to get like a PO box so people can send us snail mail with their questions. Oh, excellent! Maybe that's maybe that's the key. We gotta get the snail mail chain going. Yeah, exactly. Also send us mugs or keychains. I'd like to get a keychain in the in the mail. Yeah, a keychain would be fun. Uh, but yes, uh, of course. Also, you know, rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean or wherever you listen to this fine program get that algorithm working in our favor would you yes uh and with that um if you are not joining us for the spoiler zone then thank you for for listening um if you are then we will see you after the break see you on the other side Let's open this one up. Let's open this one up with Angela and Shadow Weaver because the parallels keep getting stronger. Ooh, the parallels the are juicy in this one. So, obviously, we have the, the shot reverse shot in this episode with uh, the the sort of conversations between Catra and Shadow Weaver and Angela and Glimmer. Um, there's another big shot reverse shot later in the series, except it's not in the same episode or even in the same season um the last conversation that angela has with adora before her sacrifice in uh, the portal mm-hmm. and the conversation that in shadow weaver has with adora in the hallway of fire are extremely extremely parallel like the, if you if you watch them side by side or even just look at you know stills or or gifs from these scenes it becomes extremely clear that these are like mirrors of each other yeah for sure like they are they are essentially the the same general thing and they like they hit the same they hit the same emotional note in a lot of ways and but the difference um between them is is just really really palpable like and like angela in that whole scene um very similar actually to the scene um in the beacon is spending that apologizing she's being very genuine and very open and very apologetic she has her heart entirely out and in the open she's admitting that she's a coward that she is a failure that you know all of what's happening is her fault that it is her weakness and her failure and her lack of courage that put any of them in this position to begin with and she's taking responsibility for that she's saying no i'm not gonna let somebody else lose their life or i guess more accurately be trapped in a dimension a pocket dimension forever 
Um, you yeah, know, effectively the same. Effectively the same thing. Um, but, you know, she's she's not going to let somebody else have to take that rap. Like, that's she sees that as, like, that's her burden, that's her cross to bear, and she's going to bear it. Um, conversely, Shadow Weaver spends her scene like she's not admitting anything she's not um apologizing she's you know at at the end of it she's like you're welcome right like she's not apologized for anything she is she is taking responsibility but not in the same way and not for the same reasons you know Right. Both of these conversations center around how important Adora is. Um, where they differ is that... And the other similarity is that uh, both of these conversations take place uh, with very large stakes and like a, a choice for some, someone needs to take on great personal risk for the sake of the entire world. And, and the portal... It is pulling out the sword to close the portal, and then in failsafe, it is uh, taking on the failsafe to stop the heart of Etheria. Um, Angela is reinforcing Adora's importance, not as She-Ra, not as the savior of the planet, but just as a person, as someone who sort of showed her what bravery was like, um, and, and her... Like, her last words are literally, take care of each other. She wants Adora to go back to her friends. Glimmer's going to need her. Bo is going to need her. But not in, like, a way of a, the way of a savior. They need her as a friend. They just, you know, their, their, their bond is just that strong. Shadow Weaver, on the other hand, is reinforcing Adora's importance as She-Ra. As someone who is the only person who can step up and save the entire universe from Horde Prime's, you know, megalomaniacal ambitions. Um, And in fact, she is telling her, no, you should not be worrying about all of these emotional attachments. Katra is confusing you and like you, you can't turn into She-Ra because you're getting too close. You need to push her away and shoulder all of this on yourself. You need to, you do not need to be Adora. She literally tells her, the world doesn't need Adora. The world needs you as She-Ra. And if you can't do that, then, well, everything is screwed. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's it's kind of their whole relationship in microcosm, that conversation. Like, Shadow Weaver and Adora's entire relationship kind of boils down to that conversation. And, you know, it's like, it's it's not great. It's it's not good. And actually thinking about it, um, and this is kind of going to sidebar it a little bit, but like it also kind of includes Catra's dynamic, um, that scene specifically, because like the way that she's she's listening in on this conversation and hearing it and feeling like simultaneously both... Um, hurt like she's being left out and like she's being abandoned um so adora can can you know be, be shadow weaver's chosen child um but also um she has this horrible like 
she doesn't want Adora to have to have she doesn't want Adora to be the one who's responsible for everything and for most of the show she like doesn't um the way that she kind of expresses that is that she you know resents Adora for being like a savior but a lot of her more real emotions kind of come out um in the last couple of episodes and you see that a lot of that is actually her you know understanding that Adora isn't given the option to think of herself and that's that's painful for Catra to have to have to see that right not only is she not given the option she just doesn't she is like Adora's arc is so interesting because I think it is it is sort of hidden under the surface the sort of severity of how just how badly she is messed up because it's not until the end of the series where the stakes are you have to save the universe but also it might just straight up kill you it to do it um and Adora is still full you know full steam ahead guns blazing I will do this that everyone realizes the severity of the situation, and especially I think Katra is kind of the first one to realize this, where it's like, oh, she's going to get herself killed. She's go if she she's going to die for everyone, and and never think about what she means to others, or even just what her worth is as a person. Like, and once again, that is the whole conversation that Angela has with her. That is the whole thing she's trying to reinforce. That is like you have. You, you aren't just Shira. You aren't just the, the wielder of the sword. You are a person in your own right with your own life, and you, you deserve uh, friends to have in it. Yeah, exactly. And, like, uh, it's, it's like Adora's whole situation is... It's, it's, it really, really hits home, um really hard i think um she has just this it's buried beneath the surface so hard because she doesn't ever consider her own anything like that's never that's she's never on the table and i think that's one of the things i like the most about the portrayal um of this very specific kind of trauma that that adora has because that, I mean, it's real. That's how it is. You don't, you don't consider yourself. You don't think about it like that. You just, you're, you aren't on the table. That's not something that, um, that's not part of your thought process. Everything else is, is more important. So you know, you don't have those moments of self-reflection where you can kind of understand what's really happening and, you know, Adora doesn't have that. Like, not only does she not have anyone to necessarily, like, communicate this to, but she doesn't even think there's anything to communicate. Like, as far as she's concerned, she's doing what's right. She's doing what she's supposed to do. She's doing what is expected of her. And to, to need that level of emotional support it doesn't cross her mind like in her like she is healthy as far as she's concerned and yeah it's 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 a lot and it's i think it's a really strong 
Um, like it's a really strong portrayal of this like very specific trauma response. I, I wholeheartedly agree. To circle it back around to that Shadow Weaver conversation, though, this ties into another thing we were talking about in the first half. Um, this entire conversation, Shadow Weaver, basically the whole thing, Shadow Weaver is like messing with Adora's hair, has her hand on her cheek, is adopting a much more concerned motherly voice. Um, back to back to her old trick. This is the the eleventh episode of the show. Basically, the penultimate episode. The heart part one is the next episode, mm-hmm. and she has not changed a bit. Not a not a single iota. She's gone through a whole lot. Shadow Weaver is still the same. Um, and throughout all of season four, we saw her pulling these same tricks with Glimmer. Once again, taking on a much more mentorly voice and role you know when she whenever she's teaching glimmer magic she's always you know got the hands over her hands to guide her into making the circles and all this like she's an adept at at using this um Mm -hmm. and i think but, but the moment to me that always always sticks in my mind whenever i think about the hordes and shadow weaver's sort of relationship with physical affection and how warped it is uh, the the one that always sticks out to me is in Light Spinner, when Catra is uh, talking to Shadow Weaver in the prison and is just sort of letting all of all of her feelings out. It's like, why do you treat me like garbage? Why are you why 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 are you acting like this towards me? And and Shadow Weaver has the you know it's because I you remind me of, of myself so much. I just wanted to, you know. I went through so much hardship. I, I thought maybe if you did as well, you would you would be strong. You would be ready for the world. And during that, she sort of puts her hand on Catra's cheek, and Catra like closes her eyes and leans into the touch. Ah, uh, she um, does. I forgot about that. Ah. Uh. Yeah, and this sort of like what she thinks is this very genuine. Uh, finally genuine emotional connection with Shadow Eve or something that she has been craving her entire life. Um, and of course, we can talk about if the, what Shadow Weaver is, it was saying is, is true or not. I think it's true. I think the emotions there are true. Uh, but none of that matters because the whole purpose of this was to get Catra to get her Mysticore badge so she could stage an escape attempt and abandon Catra to be punished by Hordak. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's another thing that's really interesting about the way that Shadow Weaver specifically is portrayed, because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, like, shows and and media and stories and whatnot, um, where it's kind of portrayed that these kind of manipulators and abusers, they, they lie constantly. They, they lie all the time. They lie um, to your face about everything and they're never genuine and they, they, they don't really have a lot of like genuine care or love in them. But a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times that's just not the case. A lot of times they really do mean a lot of the things that they say. It's just, they're, using their they're using their own emotions as much as yours to manipulate and get you into a state that they want you to be in you know it's always to serve a purpose you know even though 
that that care and that love and whatever story they happen to be telling um even if that happens to be true and genuine it's always to serve a greater purpose it's always to push and pull and try to mold things into the way that they they want things to be and you know you see that in this like physical affection style manipulation that you know she and 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 eventually catch are like very prone to doing just this like you know this um sort of using you know they don't lie they don't speak any mistruths but they're using their emotional connections to string whoever they're trying to uh get to along um you know Katra talking to Entrapta in this episode about being left behind obviously pulling on her own experiences and fears uh, with that one um and and leveraging that to make sure Entrapta stays on their side yeah exactly exactly which I think brings us to the last puzzle piece here. So we've, we've talked a lot about how, how Shadow Weaver and the Horde in general, um, physical affection is only deployed as a, a sort of emotional manipulation tool. Um, and, and even when we see physical affection in the, in like when, when Adora and Catcher are still in the Horde, whenever they show physical affection, none of it is ever like tender. There, there There's always a kind of playful aggressiveness to it all there's a lot of play tackling there's a lot of rough nudging and noogies and you know chasing each other around and all that Mm -hmm. um there's one exception to all of these things that i am saying here uh within the horde and that would be scorpia who is obviously the odd one out in the in the faction in general but especially when it comes to uh open displays of physical affection because what is scorpia's entire thing well, she loves to hug. She loves to hug. She, by her own admission, several admissions, she is a hugger. She loves to hug, and she loves her friends. She's very open about wanting to be friends with Catherine, wanting to hang out. And, you know, it's it puts her at odds with a lot of the other members of the Horde that we see. I mean, Hordak doesn't seem to have a relationship with anyone that could be described as anything other than a horrible boss minion relationship well except Um, for except with entrapta but that comes later he gets there he gets there Uh, once at the start certainly he is he is a shut-in who just yells at people all the time yeah um but scorpia uh and the with the introduction of entrapta into this this sort of duo we we get our we get our super pal trio the dark mirror to uh the best friend squad yes and you can see a lot of the like dynamic of the super pal trio kind of like coalesce in this episode you have like katra being like the focused and determined one but who's like you know very she's very excited about the things that entrapta is doing and of course scorpia is uh, similar to Bo, she's kind of the the heart, the glue that binds them together. She's um, the upbeat, positive, like she's she's the friendliest of the three, and and always like you know giving everybody giving everybody like uh, encouragement and everything. It's it's very cute, and of course Entrapta is 
just happy she has like people around that she can like talk to and talk about her experiments with and we're gonna see in the battle of bright moon um the one of the most excited moments that entrapta ever has in the whole show where she's like oh my god did you just ask me about my theories no one's ever asked me about my theories uh it's so good it's really good is that also the episode where scorpia is drawing those stick figures yes it is it is it's really good like um and Trap is explaining her theories, and then Catcher's like, oh, I'm not really following. And she's like, oh, Scorpia's getting it. And Scorpia's just, or no, Catcher's just like, Scorpia's been drawing little stick figures the whole time. And it's like, and she's all, right. It's like all of them holding hands. It's really cute. It's fantastic. Of course, it's very hard to draw when your hands are gigantic scorpion claws. Yeah, she does a good job, though. Yeah, all things considered. Uh, Scorpia, her arc, you know, as it goes on, is is super interesting because, like, she gives everyone infinite chances because her heart is simply gigantic. Like, she just wants to be friends with everyone. Whatever uh, anyone asks her to do to be friends, you know, she'll do it. Despite the fact that that Catra often often treats her pretty badly or, or you know, talks down to her. It isn't terrible, you know, obviously in, in, in the first couple of seasons, but uh, in season four, when Catra is in her unstoppable self-destruction spiral and is just sort of completely obliterating her entire life. Mm. Uh, you know, as you do. The, 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 I think the, the sort of thing that tips her over the edge is Scorpia telling her she's a bad friend and leaving. Because if Scorpia thinks you're a bad friend, you have supremely messed everything up. Yeah, like, uh, I think we've, like, briefly mentioned that scene before, but, like, man, uh, just the, the raw emotion of Scorpia just flat out saying, you're a bad friend. Like, Catra's face in that scene is just utter devastation. Like, like it's like you ripped her heart out and stomped it um into little pieces yeah i mean i love season four catcher a lot just as as someone who's she is just constantly trying to convince herself that she likes winning and she likes everything that's going on and that she's not falling apart at all and has no guilt about pulling that lever that opened the portal there's everything is fine and just the cracks in the facade keep widening and widening until she just completely shatters uh, at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then we can't talk about too much about that because I want to get there in season four. But uh, needless to say, season four Catra, probably my second favorite Catra. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. She's just, uh, it is, it's it's quite a ride. I, I look forward to getting there. We're almost season two. Like, we're we're pretty close. Right. The the thing I, you always forget is that the show is is pretty short because season two and season three are just one season that were arbitrarily split up. So yeah, we're almost at season two, and and that's seven episodes, uh, and and season three is only six, and then we can get into season four, and then we can get into season five. Yes, with and all of the juiciest content. Yes, the the juiciest possible content. There is a lot we could talk about here about how so much of season five is 
counter learning to recontextualize physical affection, but I want to save that for when we actually talk about those episodes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're going to have plenty more opportunities to, uh, to really dig into the meat of that. All right. You probably even we'll talk about it a little bit in the next episode because there's nothing else to talk about except Catradora. Promise is the sort of you could almost call it a cipher key for the rest of their relationship throughout the show. Like it is, it, it establishes so so much. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's 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 absolutely the foundation. I think of Catradora as like a concept. Like I think that. You know, obviously, prom night um, has has a lot of the 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 hook to it that really draws people in. And, you know, the first couple episodes too, but but yeah, promise for sure is like this is where you lay out their their arc together and and where they kind of need to go, their trajectory moving forward. Right, uh, Princess Prom is the is the fun, flirty, villain hero sort of romantic dynamic. Right, it's it's stylish, it's it's fun, it's all this sort of stuff. Uh, Promise is the all of the messier, like more traumatic parts of of their sort of shared past and what connects them. It is the thing that that makes their relationship so compelling, and it is the sort of kicking off point for so many like parallels and callbacks later on throughout this entire show. Absolutely. But we can't talk about that just yet. That's for next week. Yes, it is. Um, so for now, we uh, we look forward to to promises, um, but promise. Well, promise. Singular. <laughs> It should still be promises. I don't care if there's only one promise made in that episode. It should be promises. Yeah, I'm going to keep messing that up. Just like keep calling it prom night. <laughs> or boys night. It's not boys night out. It's just boys night. Yeah. Uh, regardless of uh, how false we think these titles are, um, we'll be doing it for this week. I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos. See you there.